Today's scripture comes from John 20, 19 to 22. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. As you're seated, let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful that we can gather together in the name of your Son, Jesus, that we can gather together in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would help us to take the text that we've seen and then where we're going beyond to apply it to our lives, that we would live into this truth, and that you would be glorified because of it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Sam said last Sunday uh, when he was preaching, before we uh, move on to the parables series, we're going to do a series of messages on the parables of Jesus um, over the next seven weeks. And then through July and August, we're going to be looking at Proverbs. And then in September, we're going to start with Jonah. And uh, before we do all of that today, what we want to do is just talk a little bit about the church. Talk a little bit about the church. I'm going to talk about it in, in, in the categories of who we are, where we've been, and where we hope to go. Who we are, where we've been, and where we hope to go. It's going to be a different kind of sermon. Um, for who we are, we're going to be looking at John chapter 20, which is what you just heard read. For where we've been, I want to give you a little window into the history of Christ City. And then for where we hope to go, I'm going to be calling you to prayer. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through it. Who we are, where we've been, where we hope to go. Let's talk about who we are as Jesus' people. Um, in John's gospel, which again, you just heard read, uh, it tells us that on the evening of the resurrection, Jesus showed up in their midst in a locked room and he shows up and he is alive and well and he proves himself to be the risen king who had been crucified. He offers them his peace. He says, peace be with you. It's very important that we see that. He says it twice in this text with great meaning and he then shows them the scars in his hands and the scar on his side. And Jesus' people, his disciples in the locked room, they recognize him because of his scars. And he tells them that they, as his people, the church, are going to continue on his mission and it's going to become the central focus of their lives and that he is sending them out, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to preach the gospel in word and deed just as they've seen him do. And in a certain sense, when he shows up in their midst, in the locked room, he's doing two things. I want us to see what he's doing. He's constituting them as his people, and he is commissioning them in how they're going to serve in the world. He is constituting them as his people, and then he is commissioning them and sending them as his people to serve in the world. And through what he shows the disciples in this locked room, and then what happens in light of that visit, he's showing how different things can be when he is in our midst. Everything changes when Jesus is at the center. Everything changes when you know that Jesus is in our midst. And so look at verse 19 with me again. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. It says, on the evening of that day. That's the day that they woke up and their whole world was still upside down. They thought that Jesus was dead and now he's not in the tomb. His body is gone and they are afraid. On that day, Jesus shows up. On that day, the first day of the week, the resurrected king shows up in their midst. 
On the evening of the day that they found Jesus' tomb empty, when they were filled with fear at the prospect of the authorities coming after them next, when the work of the last three years of their life of following Jesus here and there seemed wasted and gone and they did not know what to do, they got together, they locked the door, and they probably looked at each other with some fear-filled anxieties about what might be next for them, and then Jesus appears. They did not know what to do, but now their eyes were on Jesus. Verse 19 and 20, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I think glad may be the understatement of the whole Bible. I was glad that there was clean socks in my drawer this morning. I, they, they rejoiced. They were exuberant. They were excited. They were th thrilled that Jesus is alive in their midst. The peace he offers them, we need to see, is connected to the scars on his body. Peace or shalom is this weighty word. But the only way we have true peace, the true peace that Jesus speaks of, the only way we have that is when we see it in connection with Jesus' last words on the cross in the previous chapter, in chapter 19. John's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 30 says, He was breathing his last on the cross. Then he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. See, the it is finished of the crucified Jesus is connected to the peace be with you of the resurrected Jesus. Jesus' peace comes to us through his atoning work on the cross. The peace that Jesus is offering here in this locked room necessitated the it is finished of the cross. Colossians chapter 1 brings this together. He says, For in him, all, it's in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Here he is with them in their midst. He is alive and very well. His scars are noticeably identifying him as their Lord, who has made peace by the blood of his cross. They have received his peace, and this peace is uniting them together as his people. See, Jesus' peace, the, the peace that he purchased for us on the cross, that's our peace with God. That's what unites all of his people all over the world from generation to generation. We are all, all of us who follow Jesus are united together through the work of the cross and being recipients of that peace we now have with God through his finished work. It unites us. Some of you go, oh, I've heard this before. Yeah, hopefully next week as well. And then the week after. And then the week after that. And then the week after the week after that. And if history would tell us anything, it would be that we're going to preach this every week. Not because you don't know it, but because in the world we live in, it's very easy to forget where our peace comes from. You go, oh, I've heard this before. No, no, no. Don't become accustomed to it. Don't become accustomed to the glory of what God is doing in his world through the work of Christ. This is the peace that those of us who follow Jesus have with God. So he tells them who they are, brought them together through the work of the cross, and then he tells them what they're to do. Verse 21, Jesus said to them, again, 
Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is the great commission in John's gospel. Read it again, verses 19 through 21. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So, so this week when I was tasked with preaching on the church and talking about what I'm going to talk about as we continue down the gathering, I had to choose a text. And those of you who know me well know that I love John's gospel. And those of you who know that I love John's gospel know that this is probably my favorite text in the whole book. The staff sort of roll their eyes and they go, yes, another sermon on mission from Brett. That's because that's what we're called to do. And here's what I think about this text. I think the first time Jesus says, peace be with you. I think he is offering his blood-bought peace to them personally and they rejoiced. They saw the scars and they knew what he had accomplished. This is what draws them together as a community. It constitutes them as a community. This is the foundation of the identity of the church. We serve a crucified and risen Lord. Peace be with you. The second time he says, peace be with you, I think he's telling them that their mission in life is to take that peace that they have received and to go out into the world with that message on their lips that the world may hear and see and know the love of God to them in Christ. We are recipients of peace, and then we are messengers of that peace. Verse 21 says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The first expression was for them. The second expression of this peace was for the world. The first expression of this peace, of the peace that we receive through the work of the cross, is what defines the who uh, of who we are, and it unites us together as a church. The second expression of this peace is a commissioning. It is the what we are called to do. Leslie Newbegin was a missionary and a theologian and a bishop, and he wrote a lot about this. He said the gift of peace was not for them alone. On the contrary, he has chosen and appointed them to be bearers of shalom, that's peace, into the life of the world. Forty times in this gospel, Jesus is described as the one sent by the Father. Now he sends them to continue and complete his mission. I want you to notice that it says, that he was sent by the Father. He was sent. It means he had been sent in the past. And that this past action, the way the phrase is used, the past action has a continuing impact in the present. The Father sent the Son. And then it says the Son is sending us. This is a present and then ongoing sending. It continues the work of Jesus. The Father sent the Son, and the Son has sent us in a real and present way to bear the message of peace that is available to the world through the finished work of Jesus. There wasn't like there was like like Jesus came and like there was Jesus' mission and then stop, and then the church's mission, and we begin something new. I think what's going on here is that Jesus is sending us to continue his mission from that little locked room on the first Easter Sunday all the way to this present moment right here, right now. So you, Christ City, have been and are being sent into the world around you with the most profoundly life-changing news that has ever been told. See now, today, we are the body of Christ. 
We are the extension of the incarnation of Christ in our neighborhoods, our homes, our businesses, and our schools. We are the bearers of the message of peace that goes out to a lost world. It's the peace of Christ. We are called to be beacons of hope and grace and peace and love to the whole world around us. But we are not Jesus. Our lives, though, in word and deed, point to him. His peace brings us together, and then his peace sends us out. It's who we are and what we are called to do. And you say, well, that's great. How do we do this? John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, permit me for a moment, but this is the Trinitarian glory of God on display. It is a beautiful picture of the Father sending the Son and the Son sending the church in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to make the fame and deeds of God known in our day. This little, this little episode here that we see in John chapter 20 in the locked room with fearful disciples is a picture of what would happen seven weeks later on the day of Pentecost when the church would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you've got to hear me. That fear-filled little group of people are just like us. And they change the world. And you go, no, Brett, they're not just like us. They're way better. I know, I can see it on your faces. Now, I don't want us to think too low of the disciples. I just want us to have an accurate view of the disciples and an accurate view of us. They're no more special. They're very normal, in fact. See, you having too low a view of yourself as, as to being used by God in this world, that's not serving him well. He has filled you with his spirit. Christ City, those of you who follow Jesus, you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit to then go and share the peace that you've received with the rest of the world around you. That's what happened with the disciples who were locked in that little fear-filled room. This little group of 10 fear-filled disciples, it was only 10, right? Because Judas, he hung himself already and Thomas didn't show up for the meeting, right? That's why there's 10. Thomas comes in a week later. It's all good. He still gets in on it. There's 10 of them in the room. That number turned to 120 on the day of Pentecost, about 50 days later. And by Acts chapter 4, that number was 5,000. Church historians think that number grew as high as 25,000 by the year 100, and that it was somewhere between 5 and 7.5 million by the year 300. Why? Because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to take the peace they'd received to the waiting world around them. How? The Father sent the Son, the Son sends the church who are filled with the Holy Spirit to offer the message of forgiveness and peace with God through the finished work of Christ. That's who we are. That's who we are. That's what we're called to do. Second, let's talk about where we've been. That's who we are and what we're called to do. Let's talk about where we've been. Let me tell you about the history of Christ City. Our family moved here from Alberta in the spring of 2011. And I went to work for a church planting network, a network that was starting new churches in Vancouver and beyond. And when we got here on the ground, they asked us to uh, go and serve at Westside Church. And so I was employed by the network and I went to serve at Westside Church as a church planting apprentice. That meant my job was to figure out how to plant a new church in the city of Vancouver. I had no idea how to do that, but my eyes were on Jesus. Allison and I felt called to move from Alberta to Vancouver to do this work. 
But we didn't know how. We didn't know what we were going to do, but we knew that we wanted to serve him. We wanted to be in this city, and we trusted that if that was true, and he had really called us to that, that he would put all the pieces in place. And so we kept our eyes on Jesus. Now, late in 2012, uh, the elders of Westside Church got up and said, next year we're planting a church in South Vancouver. It's going to be called Christ City Church. Brett and Allison are going to go and plant it. At the time when they made that announcement, there were exactly five of us who were part of that church plant. It was me, my wife, who didn't have much of a choice, and our three girls. <laughs> a real dynamic team. That was who had committed to being a part of this. We had no idea how we were going to do it, but we kept our eyes on Jesus. Just like Daniel and Stephanie Golan are doing tonight in Surrey, we help, we, they're planting Christ City Surrey. We hosted info nights. We hosted vision nights. We had a lot of people in and through our home. We had a lot of coffees. We talked to a lot of people about what we were hoping to do and what we thought might go on. We signed a contract with a performing arts theater in South Vancouver that was just dingy little horrible place. And we signed a contract there because we were hoping to move into the Cineplex at Marine Gateway as soon as it was finished being built. And so we had a contract with a performing arts theater and we had a contract with Cineplex because that's where we were going to launch once we could really get going. That was until another church approached us and asked us if we could talk. And so in April of 2013, the elders from South Hill Church approached me uh, to talk about what it would look like for them effectively to close and for Christ City to be planted in their building. See, the South Hill elders and deacons had talked, and they believed that God was calling them to end a season at the same time as we were beginning a season. And with their kingdom mindset, and with their humility before God, and with their sacrificial generosity, they wondered what it would look like for us to do something together. That's how this church building became ours. The elders of their congregation led the church to have a vision of what could be if they did this. 88% of their members ended up voting in favor of this to happen. And actually, after the first gathering, what somebody who was around back then told me was, in that little nursing mother's room back there, for weeks, there had been a weekly prayer meeting asking God to fill this place with children, to do something new here, for a move of his spirit that would come. <laughs> she was actually on her way down to serve in the second gathering in the kids' ministry. I don't know if you've noticed, but God heard their prayers. So we planted on September 22nd, 2013, here in this building. Now fast forward to the spring of 2016, about two and a half years later. The church had grown a lot. We were doing two gatherings every Sunday, but we were full, and we knew that we would have to start a third gathering in September to accommodate all the growth that we had seen. But we also knew that three gatherings was not ideal. It wouldn't be ideal for the community side of our church. So the elders fasted and prayed and asked God to lead us. We didn't exactly know what to do, but we knew if we kept our eyes on Jesus, he would lead us. And so in the spring of 2016, we announced that we were moving to three gatherings that September. As an interim measure until we could plant a church. That's what we announced. We believed that God had heard our prayers and that he had given us a vision of planting a network of neighborhood churches that were large enough to do ministry in Vancouver, but small enough to maintain community. So I got up on a Sunday and I talked about that. And the immediate question was like, okay, well, what's the plan? And the truthful answer was, we don't know yet, but we trust that God is leading us this way. So we're going to keep walking forward. Um, we didn't have a church planter to send. We didn't have another place to meet. We didn't really actually have any plans. We just had a vision that we believed was from God and we were willing to obey. 
So that September, we started with three gatherings. As soon as we had cast that vision and started with three gatherings, a pastor friend of mine in the suburbs talked to a pastor friend of his in Kitsilano, and he got us together and he said, how is it that you two don't know each other? You guys should meet and have a conversation. And so I went and sat down with that pastor, and as I usually do, I have a one-hour block in my calendar to meet somebody new at a coffee shop, and so I go and I have a one-hour block, and then I had to cancel the rest of my day because that conversation took a turn that I was not expecting. And three and a half hours later, I left the conversation with the pastor of a church in Kitsilano with him asking if Christ City would consider replanting their church as Christ City Kitsilano. He then took that back to the other elders in their church. They believed it was from God. I took it to the elders of our church. They thought it was a great solution to the prayers that we'd been praying. And so we got together. We took their team and we sent a bunch of people from here and then supported with our staff team from here. And we planted Christ City Kitsilano on Palm Sunday, 2017. They launched in Fifth Avenue Cinemas on that day. And they're still meeting there and they are a wonderful neighborhood church in Kitsilano. So now we're on our way with this vision of planting a network of neighborhood churches. Now, two churches doesn't make much of a network, right? Really? It's not. It's not. It's kind of like it's the, it's the early days steps in the right direction. We were learning a lot when we were doing that. And so, yeah, we sent a bunch of people from here to go and plant there. But this church here just keeps growing. So soon we're back at three gatherings as an interim measure until we can plant again. That's the way that we're communicating it because that's the last thing the Lord told us we should do. And so we're just going to keep doing that. So as all that's going on, there's a pastor on our staff here named Jake Lefebvre. He was doing kids ministry and then youth ministry. He'd started preaching a bunch and he was starting to wonder if God was calling perhaps him and his family to plant a church. And so he and his wife, Maisie, start praying through that. And they start discerning a call to plant a church in the Hastings Sunrise neighborhood of Vancouver. So on the uh, kind of days following, weeks following Easter Sunday, 2019, they begin meeting in the afternoon here with a large group from Christ City, South Vancouver, and some folks from Christ City Kits. They begin meeting here in the early days of what then becomes Christ City, East Vancouver. That was launched in September of 2019. They're doing great in that neighborhood, and they're still growing, and it's wonderful. Now, then there was two years kind of that were bumpy in between from 2020 to 2022. I'm not sure if you remember that time. Uh, There was some stuff going on in the world around then. But once we here at our church got up and running again at the beginning of 2022, kind of with full steam ahead once again, what we found is that during the pandemic, our church had actually grown. We had more people coming here to worship. And because those numbers were rising, we had to make plans for what we would do next. So we said, in September of 2022, we are going to go to three gatherings again, as in, say it with me, an interim measure until we can plant another church. That's what we did. And so those of you who've been around since last September, you know that we've been gathering with three gatherings since then. Now, uh, with all that going on, Daniel Golan is a church planting apprentice in East Vancouver. He's going to plant a church in Surrey, and, and, and the elders affirm that. All of us think that's a great idea. It's what God has called him to do. We did try and talk him out of doing that and to come here in South Vancouver and to plant out of here. But he was convinced that he needed to plant in North Surrey, and so we honored what seemed to be the will of God, and he's headed forward with that. But that means we don't have a bunch of people living in North Surrey that we can send with him. And until a huge group of you tell me that you're doing otherwise, we don't think we're sending a bunch of people to go and plant that church. So, so it doesn't really deal with what's going on here in terms of the challenges of growth. So because of growth here, like I said, September 2022, 
we go back to three gatherings as that interim measure until we can plant. And so here we are. We've grown now since September. Again, we continue to grow. So that's where we've been. Now, as an interesting aside in this whole conversation, one of the weird things that happens to me personally is that I often get invited to share about all of this. I get invited to go and talk about how we've strategically planted three churches, soon to be four, in the city of Vancouver. I hope you see how funny that is. We have strategic people on our team, and we try to think strategically. But all that we've done all the way through this is just continue to say we don't really know what to do, but we'll keep our eyes on Jesus. We'll see how he leads us by his spirit. So we've, again, strategic people on the team, doing stuff, trying to lead. But it's really a story of God's kindness as he continues to point us forward, lead us forward. It's a story of what we would call God's providence. God's providence is the way that he upholds his creatures in an orderly existence. His providence means that he guides and governs all things. His providence is the way that he directs everything to its appointed goal for his own glory. Um, John Flavel was a guy who wrote about this. He wrote a book called The Mystery of Providence. And he said, the providence of God can only be read backwards. And he's right. What he means is when you look back and recount all that God has done in our midst, you can then have confidence that he'll lead you forward, even when you don't know what to do, as long as you keep your eyes on him. And so as a church, I'm just trying to take a minute here to say, let's look back and see where we've been so that we now know where to go forward. We don't know what to do, but we've got our eyes on him. So that's who we are. That's where we've been. Now let me talk to you about where we hope to go. Okay? If it's not been clear so far, we do hope to plant another church. That's been our strategy and our plan, because that's what we think God has called us to do. It's the way that we, as his people, receive his peace, and then the way that we are sent to go and communicate his peace around us. We think that it works well for us to continue to plant churches. If God wanted us to be a church of thousands, he would have given us a bigger building. We want to be a church that multiplies, raises up more leaders, sends out more leaders, allows more people to use the gifts that God has given them to serve him in their neighborhoods. Sam and John and I talk about this every single week. Our staff talks about it all the time. Our elders have been talking about it for years, but in the last few months more specifically, talking about how we can, uh, how we can look, uh, how, how we should look at this season, and then what we can do. So last month, John and I spent <laughs> nearly two hours in front of a whiteboard because we're strategic thinkers. And so we got a whiteboard, all whiteboard people. Are you with me? I love whiteboarding out a good strategy. And so John and I are standing there and we're, you know, doing this a lot. <clears throat> yeah, in front of the whiteboard. And you write something down and then I go, yeah, that's very good. Let me just give me the pen and then I write something down. And what we do is we come up with like at least five different ways we can address the challenges that we have with numerical growth. And then at the end of that conversation, we kind of look at each other and laugh because none of those five are in our control. We can't actually do anything about any of them. So we laughed, and then I said, there's a scripture I've been meditating on. Let me share it with you out of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I read the scripture, and then we spent some time praying. And then the next night, we shared it with our elders. And the elders asked that I speak this, that I talk about who we are, where we've been, and where we're going. All the options that we have are not in our control. 
Second Chronicles chapter 20 is a beautiful passage that helps us to think through this very well. Let me set it up a little bit for us. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and he was leading the people back into faithfulness with God. He had set in his heart, he had set his heart to seek God, and he was instituting reforms within the nation that were helping all of the other people to do the same. And after he's done a bunch of this, what happens is three armies come against them at the same time. Three armies come against the people of Judah, and there is a battle that is about to begin, and some people understand what's going on. Some of his soldiers run to him and tell him what's happening. There is an army and an army and another army, and they're all closing in on us. What are we going to do? Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. See, when he had all the people come together to seek God, he gets before all of them, and then he gets up and he prays. And in his prayer, he recounts the fame and deeds of God, how God was faithful to Abraham and how he had made a promise to Abraham. And how he was faithful in the Exodus out of slavery to Moses and how he had made a promise to Moses. And then he gets up and he talks about David and he's praying, understanding that God had made a promise to David. And he recounts a number of things that God has done. And then he prays to God and he asks, them, asks God to defend them from these attacking armies. This is what's going on. It says 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. This is part of his prayer. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Our challenge right now at Christ City is not the same as the problem of Jehoshaphat. I want to be clear about that. We have good problems. But the prayer is the same. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So when I shared it with the elders, they asked me to preach this. Because we've been at three gatherings for a while now, and we've continued to grow. And we think that probably means we should get ready to plant again. Here's, here's the issue. We don't have a planter. We don't have a place to go and plant. We don't have a building. We don't know what to do. But we're full of faith. We've seen what God has done in the past. And we're praying that he would continue to lead us forward. This isn't about the 10 years of church history of Christ City. This is about 2,000 years of Christian history and the way that he guides his people. So we know that God's called us uh, to, to be this kind of people who have received his peace. This is who he's called us to be. And we know what he's called us to do. And so what I want to do is just invite you into praying with us as we bring this before the Lord. Some of you are weary and burdened from your last season of ministry or, or your last season in a different church somewhere, and there's a reason you left there and found a home here. We're glad you're here. We're glad you have found a place of peace, a place where you can rest in the truth of the gospel. We are not asking you to just uproot. But the reality is, at some point in the future, we believe it could be that God wants a group of us to go out and plant a church. And I just want you to be open to that. But we don't know how we should do it, we don't know when we should do it, and we don't even know where we should do it. We're asking God for help. God may send us a church planter. Lord, hear our prayer. He may connect us with a church that needs to be replanted or revitalized. We would love to do that. We don't know. 
But we know that if we keep our eyes on him, he will help us to see a way forward that will bring glory to him and him alone. And why do we know this? Well, the story of Jehoshaphat doesn't end with his prayer. It ends with God's response and God's action in what he did. I'm going to read to you the lengthy section from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, starting in verse 13 and onward. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed them who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. That's a great story. God's people never even unsheathed the sword. The whole point of the whole text is that God is the one who fought the battle, that the battle is his. His people just trusted him. They sought his face. They cried out in prayer, and then they cried out in worship, and he delivered them. The whole point of the whole text is that the battle is the Lord's. They were united in prayer, seeking an answer. And because of their prayers, and because of the way God led them, they exchanged their battle cry for a song of praise. When the problem came at them, they responded with extraordinary prayer. See, when we face challenges as a community and we don't know what to do, we keep our eyes on God and we come together in extraordinary prayer. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to gather together on Tuesday, May 23rd at 7 o'clock. We're going to gather together here and we're going to ask God to guide us into what he has next for us as a church. It's after the long weekend, so you'll be well-rested. It'll be a wonderful time. Come together and pray. Our elders are calling you to give yourself to prayer about this from now till then. I'm asking you if you'll pray with us daily from now until then that God would direct us. I want us to seek the face of God together as one voice until we see a breakthrough and know where to go and what to do. See, Jesus has united us together as his people with the peace that he purchased for us on the cross. His peace has constituted us as a community. 
And his peace has also commissioned us into what we are called to do in this world. He's constituted us with his peace, and he's commissioned us with his peace. So this is our prayer. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And it's prayed full of faith, knowing that he hears. Amen? Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me as we respond?